May we affirm our faith and joy and willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from John 4, verses 17 through 21. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but love casts out fear, for fear has, no, has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment, we, the commandment that we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. This is God's word to God's people. Thanks be to God.
are on week three of studying 1 John and his message in that letter about love. And as I know, it is week three, but I want to focus on God's love in a different capacity and in a different way. But we do have to start from the place of love. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to preside over the, the celebration of life for, for a woman in our community whose family was wrought with grief and sadness, largely due to the fact that the last several of her years of her life were spent struggling with addiction, and ultimately she lost her battle with addiction, and the family lost her too soon and lost a light that was in their lives. But they recognized that the light was not consistent. And when her father got up here to speak, he spoke to her and related her likeness to the reality of the moon. For those of you who are wondering how that happened, he talked about her being someone who, we all know that the moon reflects the light of the sun and doesn't have its own power source, right? All right, so she, he talked about his, I figured that that's a good starting point, right? So we're all on the same page, exactly. Um, so he talked about his, his daughter being someone who forgot that she was receiving light and love from God. He talked about the times that she was deepest in her addiction were the times that she forgot that that light was shining on her. And because of the fact that she forgot that, she could not reflect that light to others. The reality is, is whether or not our, our moon is full or dark, the sun is shining on it in some way, shape, or form. We just may not see it at that given moment. God's love was shining on her throughout her entire life. She just didn't know it at every single point in her journey. He talked about when God's light was shining on her and she was aware of it, that she was a beam of light to all that she encountered, bringing joy, bringing hope, bringing fruitfulness to those that she, she interacted with. But she didn't know that that light was on herself. She didn't know that it started from a place of God's deep love and grace for her. God's light was always there. She just wasn't always ex reflecting it or experiencing it. This got me thinking about our passage this morning. Last week we talked about the fact that God is love. God's message is love and God's grace is a gift of love. Welcoming us where we are, forgiving all of our wrongs, and God wanting to be in relationship with us so that we may receive the light fully and reflect it to those we encounter, family, friends, and strangers alike. Fear, unfortunately, which is what I want to talk about, often hinders our ability to reflect that light and love that God so graciously showers upon us. There was a book that came out in 2007 by a man named Scott Bader Say, entitled Following Christ in a Culture of Fear. 
And Bader Say says to us that we, we are in need of some clear, sensible reflection on fear, how to acknowledge it without being manipulated by it. He says that fear is not evil. It is not a vice. It is not wrong to fear, but excessive or disordered fear can tempt us to vices such as cowardice, sloth, rage, and violence. It can inhibit virtuous actions such as hospitality, peacemaking, and generosity. Adding on to Bader Say's list, I would say that fear also can cause anxiety, depression, a sense of hopelessness, and that's what we want to fight against. According to Thomas Aquinas, fear can cause a kind of contraction of the heart. By imagining a future evil, fear draws us in on ourselves so that we extend ourselves to fewer things. This, in turn, becomes a hindrance of, the Christian, of Christian discipleship, which calls us not to contract, but to expand, not to limit ourselves to a few things, but to be open to ourselves, but to open ourselves charitably and generously to many things, not to attack that which threatens us, but to love even the enemy. This makes me think of a Charlie Brown Christmas special. I don't know, do you remember the scene where Charlie goes and sits down with Lucy and it says the psychiatrist is in, or the psychologist is in? And she goes through a list of phobias that Charlie may be experiencing. She goes, is it this? And he goes, no. Is it that? And he goes, no. And she, she has a laundry list of phobias. And ultimately, she gets to, Charlie Brown, do you have a fear of everything? Did you know that that's named pantophobia? And Charlie Brown goes, yes! <laughs> Which we laugh about, but... At that point, fear begins to take over our lives in real and tangible ways. It becomes the general way that we go at and go about living. Now, you guys know that I adore my twins greatly. They are gregarious, vivacious, energetic as all can be. And let me tell you that the moment that they started crying and the moment that they started crawling, I had this new level of fear that I couldn't understand. And it took the form of postpartum anxiety. And all of a sudden, despite the fact I had calendared out a whole season of things that I was going to do, how I was going to invite people into my house for coffee dates, how I was going to go and do ministry opportunities, how I was going to live and interact in the world, my anxiety got bigger and bigger and bigger. And as I did it, the things that I did got smaller and smaller and smaller. I canceled the coffee at my house because <gasps> what happened if they cried? Hello, babies cry. I'm pretty sure anyone who came to my house would go, they cry, it's okay, Rachel, it's all good. Um, I, ministry opportunities that I planned to do, I canceled left and right because I couldn't fathom how I was going to keep my kids safe while doing this ministry opportunity. And it limited my ability to express God's love and light to other people. And it was only when I had someone say, Rachel, you need to get help, that I turned to God more, that I turned to 
to professional help to get me through this postpartum anxiety that I was feeling. And as soon as that cloud that was over my head alleviated, I felt completely different about everything going on. I was able to love more profoundly. I was able to acknowledge when my fear was appropriate and when it was at that detrimental point. I was able to live in the world differently. And for that, I give thanks. Bader Say, who I referenced earlier, talks about parenting uh, in his book and equates it to our relationship with Christ as well. But he says it's not enough to keep our children safe. Their physical safety is a backdrop against which we as parents need to help them discover the joy of living, the thrill of new experiences, a robust engagement with the world around them, a dynamic relationship with God who made them. All of this can easily be squelched when we parent out of fear. Parents need to create a space for children to explore and even take risks in the process of growing, learning, and developing. This is true as we parent, whether they are toddlers making their first steps in life or as a young adult making larger steps or as grown kids who are out of the house that we just have to trust that they're making their way in the world. And the reality is that that's what God does for each and every one of us each day. God loves us, says, I've created this environment for you, in, for you to live in, and I trust that you are going to explore, you're going to grow, and you're going to learn. I'm going to give you freedom to make mistakes, but my love is there for you regardless. And trust that I am here for you. Our fear can manifest in a variety of different ways. I talked about it in terms of my anxiety with my kids. But we can have a fear of loss, a fear of losing our significant other to the point that we are micromanaging them to the point that they get frustrated with us because we're always checking in to make sure that they are where they really say they are, that they're doing what they say they're doing, and not trusting them to be the people that we have professed to love. We could have a fear about losing our job, so we do all of the things on the checklist, but we don't live into the fullness of who we could be in our jobs because we're just trying to do enough to get by instead of seeing how we could thrive. Many of us live in a fear of worthiness. Am I truly worthy of someone's love, of God's love? Am I good enough in myself? To which the answer is yes. But the scripture talks about a fear of punishment, a fear of judgment. People who suffer from such a fear of ultimate punishment need to be consoled and counseled on the truths of God's grace. We need a full-throated recitation of the end of Romans 8, that there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we understand God's perfect love for us and have that same lo perfect love in us by the Spirit of God, then we will not fear judgment. One of our favorite beloved hymns in the church in general is the song Amazing Grace, and it kind of talks about this two-fold dichotomy of fear. It has the lines, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear,' and grace my fears relieved. 
And some of us may go, which is it? Are we taught to fear? Are we taught that we are relieved of fear? As we think about it further, the answer is both. The hymn rightly suggests that we need to be taught to fear. Or to be put better, we need to be taught to fear well. But this teaching of fear, fear, according to the hymn, must come by grace. For only grace can give us the courage to fear as we should. And grace goes on in that hymn to relieve our fears, even as it teaches them. Which is to say that grace makes sure that our fears will not rule us. Grace puts fear in its place. And as grace puts fear in its place, the scripture challenges us to take it a step further. It doesn't just say, embrace the love that God has for you, but it says, embrace the love that God has for you and reflect it to others. Because if you hate your brothers and sisters, then you don't know God's love fully. That's a challenge for us to live into. The book group that I lead online with our women of the church are reading a book called For the Love. And Jennifer Hatmaker, over the course of 20-some chapters, talks about God's love and how we experience it within ourselves, how we experience it in our families, how we experience it in our closest community, and how we express it to the world. And when she gets to the chapter about expressing it to the world, she talks about the fact that those that are not a part of the church are watching us, are paying attention to what we're doing, and judging Jesus by the actions that we take as a body of faith. And she says they are watching. And she says if we pay attention to Jesus, we know how we're supposed to respond as well. Hatmaker says that Jesus tried to impress love and grace upon us. And she goes, I mean, he was obsessed. By this, every, and this is a quote from John 13, 35, which will sound a lot like our song today, or our special music today. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. In John 17, 23, it says, Jesus says, I am in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Time and again, Jesus met the woman at the well to talk about love. He met the Good Samaritan and talked about expressing love to others. He interacted with blind Bartimaeus, with the poor widow, with Zacchaeus. Hatmaker says there is a clear correlation between how we treat each other and how a watching world will feel about Jesus. What should our neighbors deduce from our loving kindness toward one another? One, that we obviously belong to Jesus, because what other expression exists for such a beautiful community? My desire is to be a beautiful community, to be people who reflect God's love and grace to all that we encounter. I am working really hard to live in this place of love as our church prepares to go to general conference, to not let fear of the unknown, to not let what may come out of general conference be an anxiety for me, 
but to hope and pray that all of our delegates go forth to that conference in such a way that we remember, first and foremost, we are a beloved community, that everyone gathered there are brothers and sisters in Christ, and that the world is watching. And if the world is watching, how are they going to represent themselves in such a way that people go, oh, we can disagree about some big stuff, but still love one another and treat one another the way God expects us to treat each other. That is my hope and prayer for General Conference. I hope that we don't live in a point of fear. Bader Say talks about fear and talks about how people react to fear in this way. He says, many people do bad things, not so much because they are evil, but because they are fearful. The relentless pursuit of safety leads to uncharitable hearts, for we fear letting go of the goods that might protect us against an uncertain future. In the name of security, we refuse to love our enemies because we assume that if we do, if we do not answer violence with violence, we will forever be victimized. Because we wish to be careful, we do not open our lives to strangers, fearing they will take advantage of our hospitality. It is fear that constricts our hearts, and thus fear that makes Jesus' eth ethic of risky discipleship look maybe a little crazy, unrealistic, and irresponsible. But Jesus' love is one of perfect love, showing us how we love each and every person that we encounter, regardless of how flawed they are, regardless of what sins we think they've done. Jesus meets them where they're at, says, let's have a meal together, let's pray together, and let's walk this road together. We need to embrace that. Hatmaker in the book that we're, we're reading on the online group says, fear makes us terrible brothers and sisters. We needn't be so right over one another. We should certainly treat each other like family in any case. Our siblings in Christ don't need another parent. They have God. The condescending way in which we speak to, other, to each other Correct publicly, or let's try this again. The condescending way in which we speak to each other, correcting publicly, nitpicking and criticizing, questioning and disproving, waving at the benefit of the doubt, is just gross. It's why so many observers pass by this family altogether. As an Anne and a family, we have matters to work out. And she's not suggesting that we abandon difficult conversations, or ignore a brother or sister heading toward the gutter. She says that we must teach and lead each other, but should be faithful. It should be faithful, loving work between real-life companions who've earned the right to speak truthfully. It should involve private discussions cloaked in dignity and grace, prioritizing understanding as much as instruction. It should not include smug piety shots that create a victim out of our brother and sister. In a blog, or in a podcast following up on this, this thought, she talked about and addressed a question about how you lead with grace and teach truth at the same time. And she said, 
she recognizes that the place that she's at in her faith started from the place of God's grace. So whenever she interacts with someone else, she too starts from a place of grace. She meets a person where they're at, gets to know them, gets to learn about them, and then only when the opportunity opens does she take the step of truth. And she walks that delicate balance beam between grace and truth in such a way that the conversation is genuine and authentic and loving every step of the way. So that it is one that brings about understanding on both sides and one that helps both, both parties grow into who they're supposed to be. God's love can be so surprising. I think that's part of the reason that we have fear, because we don't believe that we are worth it. But I hope that we put fear in its proper place and recognize that that love can take us where we need to go so that as our life unfolds, we might be open to surprises. In my preparations for General Conference, which I too will be watching from afar, I read an article that encouraged us to be receptive to the surprises that God may lead. My hope and prayer is that we are all surprised, at least in big or small ways, at the outcome of General Conference, that we might see the way that the Spirit is doing something different than any of us expected to some fuller understanding. And regardless of the outcome of General Conference, I'm going to lead with love, pushing fear aside so that I might reflect God's love to others and that we might radiate a light into the world that needs God's love so much. Amen?